Hello and welcome back to the Brace Yourselves podcast. This is episode two. Who'd have thought we'd got to the second episode? You know what? I just I got a little chill from you saying uh, welcome back. Took me back to our uni days. Oh God, the, and back, back on the radio. Yeah, where, where we started all this. Back. Well, this, that, that was the original inception of this. Is back in uni, we wanted to talk movies and football, and movies took over. Well, exactly, and I don't think there was much viewership for football back on this, the student radio back in the day. So, unfortunately, we went we went where the nerds were at, and us, we're being nerds as as well as football fans. It's the most logical organic growth, I guess. Yeah, straight out exposing ourselves once more. Hey, nothing, nothing wrong with being a nerd nowadays. It's in fact incredibly popular to be a nerd, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I would have been much more popular at high school now than I ever was then. So, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So we've had a very exciting week of Premier League football. It was a good week, first opening weekend of Premier League, Premier League football, actually, and we will get Probably on to won't. that. So we're going to recap the weekend, talk about our, our favourite games, yeah, the best game, our, the MVP, which I know is a bit of an Americanism, but it, there's always one. And then, you know, the worst game. And then obviously, for Ian's unfortunate sake, we will also talk about the Spurs loss, which is very funny. I've had a few people like talk to me about this podcast and they're like, you know what? Harley's just going to ride you every time Spurs lose. And I'm like, yeah, I know what I've signed up to, guys. I know what I've signed up to. Well, 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 you say that. Uh, you're not that clued up on transfers, but you've actually just beaten us to a player that we would like within hours of signing, and you've signed him. But with a, there is a condition on that, and we'll get into that when we talk okay, about some okay, notable transfers. So the weekend was incredibly fun. Me being my transitional employment status that I am at the moment, or having rather, means that I was free to watch every single game, which I did, and uh, I did enjoy them greatly. Obviously, we'll start off by saying the best game of the weekend was obviously Liverpool versus Leeds. 100%. Easy win, straight out. Like. No, not in terms of Liverpool easy win, sorry. Easy win is the best game of the weekend. That's what I meant there, sorry. Just no defence, absolute attacking prowess on both sides. Liverpool had that little bit of rub the green, champions luck sort of thing. Not... not uh, I don't want to say luck because I think I'm being too critical there. What I mean is that they had that champions mentality of even when they play badly, they still win, right? Yeah, they they still had the bonuses from last season. You know, they had the boosters that they could apply, kind of thing. Yeah, the thing with the this game is that very quickly, when obviously Liverpool got the penalty, I was like, uh oh, Leeds are in trouble here. I was like, everything's going to go Liverpool's way, uh, and that's that's. That's just the way it's going to be. Salah put the penalty away, and I was like, right, okay, here we go. Another season of Liverpool dominating. And then Leeds went, oh, by the way, don't you dare be complacent because we will absolutely hound you. And they proceeded to do for 90 minutes. And I was so heartbroken, not just as a Man United fan, because I don't like Leeds either. That's, that's what people got to remember here. I don't like Leeds either. Historically, these clubs don't, we don't like Leeds. We don't like Liverpool, but Leeds put up such a fight that when they did concede that last minute penalty, I was just like, oh no, they must be heartbroken. But Jack Harrison's goal, the first goal, was absolutely outrageous. Embarrassed Trent Alexander-Arnold. screamer. Like, that touch did three Liverpool defenders. 
Allison was like not ready on his line. He just well, Harrison hit it so early. Allison was just like, oh god, yeah. what, what a goal! Now, I, I was I've watched a couple of people break down this goal, and a lot of people are like, oh, Van Dyke's not a fault. Van Dyke's not a fault, which is because everyone thinks Van Dyke's the best defender in the world. And right now, maybe an argument could be made for that. But what what was interesting is that all of the Liverpool backline were actually, apart from and, Andy Robinson. All of them were awful. If Liverpool didn't have the attacking prowess they did in that game, it was, it would have been a really bad day for Liverpool. I can tell you that right now because Van Dijk strutting around. What was he thinking on Leeds' second goal? When he's, that's like a FIFA move, right? Where you're like, you press A and you, and you say, oh, I, I didn't mean, or A or X, whatever your preference may be. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it back to keeper, but you accidentally know you've passed it to your left back or right back, and you know it's a risky pass, but you want to take the, take it anyway because you want to get it up the field. But it goes horrendously wrong, and you pass it to their attacker, and they tap it in. That, it literally was the the definitive oh shit FIFA goal, and Van Dyke, being the monolith of a defender he is at the moment, should not be making that sort of mis- mistake. Well, I just think it goes back to that first point you mentioned, you know, just about them coming off their win. They were complacent and obviously going forwards, they were just having the flair because they've always had that. Whereas when they were tracking back, they're like, oh, we don't need to worry. It's only Leeds. And Leeds were ready. They were pouncing on every ball they could get their hands on, basically. And they showed them up. I mean, you know, we know Liverpool are an extremely good side. So we knew they were going to come back and fight for the goals. But Leeds just went out and did everything they could. I mean, my favourite thing is it uh, gave us some kudos because we were saying Leeds are ones to watch and straight out of the gate, they proved us right. I mean, I think they could have tucked away a, a draw, a four-all draw would have been a mad one, but I could definitely have seen it coming round. I mean, they were very unfortunate in those last few minutes. Oh, well, listen, you buy Rodrigo. We, I was slating Rodrigo in the last podcast. I said, oh, he's not very prolific in front of goal. And then he comes on in his first game for the club and gives away the penalty, which means that they don't take a point against Liverpool. Terrible start. He must be furious. Bielsa, their manager, wow. Like, he's so full of energy. For a, for a man his age to be able to crouch and squat consistently and like <laughs> shout at his players and, and like motivate them, it was fiercely um, incredible. But what I will say... He only has a one-year contract because apparently he has right. a hot and heavy uh, temperament. So if it doesn't work out, he will leave quite quickly. So if they start strong and start dwindling halfway through the season, he will just leave. Uh, and it's not just him. He has a one-year contract and his entire staff is tied to that one-year contract as well. So if he were to leave, he would really leave Leeds in a lurch. So in terms of longevity i think it's exciting for leeds but and i don't really want to compare them to norwich too much because obviously norwich did come up and shock the champs they beat man city 3-1 last season however leeds looked like they have a bit about them but defensively they did look vulnerable they bought that new player whatever his name was um not Kelch. They bought that German centre-back and he was responsible on his debut for two of the goals. That's, I don't know, if it, I think this could be a season which we're going to get uh, quite a lot of high-scoring games. It will be interesting, but what a game. What a, I was just, I, I was watching it with my partner and, 
and she was like, oh my God, when Leeds scored the third. And uh, people talk about the first goal. I think Leeds' third goal was it was even better, like because the the held a Costa cut back inside, cross into the box. The look, he never meant that touch, not in a million years, but it was the perfect touch. And then he half volleyed it into the goal. My God, what? A- you, you just got to take him, haven't you? You, you say uh, you meant to touch it. So yeah. do you think? So do you think uh, best game of the week, uh, best goal of of the week was in that one? Or yeah, my my goal my my goal of the week was Jack Harrison's first goal, just because of how uh, individual it was based. I, I, I preferred aesthetically the third Leeds goal because uh, mm. it was just creatively like, whoa, you've got some creative flair to you. You've you've seen something that I can't even read, and you've got it to the feet of the player. He's tapped and he's uh, volleyed it in, but. Jack Harrison's first goal to not only disarm completely the Liverpool back line, but to do it with like within minutes of being on the pitch and beat arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League or world. For sure. For coming up from the Championship, if he if he does that every week, he might be an absolute worldie. Who knows? But yeah, for me, yeah. for me, for me, that was my best my best goal of the weekend. No, I, I had a little uh, soft spot for uh, Reese James's over at Man City against oh. uh, Brighton. That was a screamer. You mean Chelsea, yeah? Yeah, sorry, Chelsea. <laughs> People be like, these guys don't know football. What are you talking about? <laughs> sorry, we've got so many things. Like, uh, you've got to lock it in your head, you know, and then you've got to say it out loud, guys. Uh, this is what it yeah. is. It's locked mm-hmm. in, and then, you know, I've got page after page up, so I get my facts <laughs> right, and I get them wrong straight out of the bat. Um, yeah, what an absolute... I, what I liked about it was Brighton, you know, they've been fighting... And they tuck one away, and it was a decent like strike from uh, the Brighton player. And then Chelsea were like, "Yeah, we can do that." And Reece James steps up to the ball and just absolutely lashes it. Oh yeah, I was I was watching it. Um, I was texting a, a mate of mine that's a Brighton fan at the same time. I said, "What a goal from Trossard!" I said, "Kepa is a horrendously bad goalkeeper, by the way, but what a goal from Trossard!" Kepa, if someone kicks a ball at him, he's like, "Ah." That's um, just what you want in goal. Well, uh, before before I talk about. Um, the capitulation i will yeah. just say this if anyone doesn't know this if anyone wants to tell me that kepper's a good goalkeeper or anything here is a fact for you he is responsible for eight percent of chelsea's total goals conceded in the premier league total goals as in eight percent of the goals they've ever conceded in 28 seasons have been conceded by him that is horrendous that is like the, he statistically <laughs> is in fact the worst uh, Premier League goalkeeper ever at the moment and he's got a long way to go Jeez. to come back from there because once you hit the bottom it's a long hard road yeah, never to the top just back to okay you were an average keeper um, and considering they paid £75 million for him or something that is frightening but yeah I felt very bad for Brighton uh, to be honest I did watch the Brighton game and I felt they were very hard done by Chelsea had a little bit of, like I said, I thought Chelsea mm-hmm. might do quite well this season because I don't think Chelsea played particularly fantastic football, but they did enough. They got the win. They had a little bit of rub of the green, and that's what happened. But, yeah, Reese James's goal was a, was a scorcher. And whenever a defender scores a goal like that, you're just like, wow. Exciting as a neutral for us because he's English. Yeah, so, exactly. So, you know, if, if, he's got, if he's got that talent going forward, and I think we have a lot of – options in our fullback range I think and just briefly going back to Liverpool, Liverpool game very briefly because that does tie into the one to forget Trent Alexander-Arnold and talking about English fullbacks looks 
like at the moment to be having a horrendous start to the Premier League season. Uh, defensively, he was abysmal against Leeds, caught out multiple times. The offside flag stopped him from conceding a horrendous own goal. His attitude looks wrong. His bo- he, like he just looks like he knows he's having a bad start to the season. So that will be an interesting well, one. Well, I, th- I think you can guess my uh, game to forget of the weekend. <laughs> the, I talk, mean, Arnie, in takeover, <laughs> talk to me about what went wrong against Everton. Oh, what went wrong? We didn't even start. It was just an absolute atrocity. Like, what? I mean, Son looked good again. Son always looked strong. But even then, there wasn't the connection. There was a through ball clean to Harry Kane. And he didn't take it. Instead, he let, I can't remember who he lays it off to. Oh, he lays it off to Dali. And Dali, like, absolutely skims it wide. But it's like you have options. And I don't know what you're doing, Son. And it feels like that is reflecting throughout the entire team. Yeah. They don't know where they're going with it. They're making good plays. Well, good single plays, like solitary plays. They're making good solitary plays but they're not playing as a team. And we were seeing that last season. We saw that with the whole, you know, Lloris having to go at Sun and Mourinho, you know, being like, oh, what an amazing thing. Like, our team's really energised. It's like, no, look, they're fighting on the pitch. Like, come on, you can't spin that. I'm sorry. PR spin. Exactly. We just look, I don't know what's going on. I, I mean, yeah, as you can tell, my words are stumbling at the pain of having to witness that on the first day of the season. And I mean, yeah. Everton didn't look that spectacular. They had some good chances, fair enough, but we I just think, went out there. I think uh, Everton's new midfield were quite hard to break down. I think Allen played very well for Everton, which is g- shocking to me because, again, I, I'm a big believer that Serie A players take a while to adapt to the Premier League, but he didn't. In terms of, well, Decore is, is a well-established uh defensive midfielder in the Premier League anyway, so his experience was incredibly um, valuable. James Rodriguez was, was surprisingly, maybe you guys didn't press him enough, but I think he maybe had maybe too much creative freedom, was laying balls off, delightful balls, left, right, left, right. The, the thing with Spurs, again, you spoke about a specific moment, and that's one moment that sticks out in my mind in terms of human song. Why he did not play that ball to Harry Kane, I will, I will never know because Harry Kane would have probably scored. Definitely had a more of a chance of scoring than Dali Alley. Yeah, um, you, you know, you know, I'm sat there spamming why, like it's like that's it, it's a through ball, just get it in front of Kane. He's got everyone beat. Like it was so clean and obvious. And Son always sees those moments, but mm. goes out there first day of the season, doesn't see it. Maybe he's hunting for something. Maybe he's trying to prove something. And I'm, I hope that's not the case with that team that everyone's out there trying to prove something because. They need to prove they're a team. I think, obviously, I've recently finished the All or Nothing documentary, and I would recommend mm-hmm. you, you go and watch it. I know it was a painful season, but it does give you an insight into what Mourinho claims he's trying to do and is actually doing. I think All or Nothing is more about Mourinho trying to rehabilitate his image rather than actually building a project at Spurs and we'll touch on that a little bit more when we talk to you with mm. the transfers you've made or about to make this For week. Sure. Well, but, seeing as we've gone from a negative, should we go to a positive? Who's your uh, player of the week? Player of the week? Unfortunately, it has to be Mohamed Salah, doesn't it? When Liverpool needed him, I know he took two spot kicks, but when Liverpool needed him, he, st- he st- uh, you know, st- stood up to the plate. Banged them, banged them both in, scored a great goal as well. And 
in that Leeds game, that that volley, I know obviously the ball had to bounce his way, but he hammered it home into the top corner. He was my player of the weekend just because, not because it was the prettiest hat-trick in the world, but just because when you needed him, he delivered. It's as simple as that. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go to the other end of the pitch. Um, I'm going with uh, Crystal Palace's goalkeeper. Oh, Don't know if I'm saying he's... Yeah, Goita. Honestly, I thought it was a really good game, the Southampton-Crystal Palace one. There were so many chances, and Crystal Palace were really unfortunate. Zaha in Mm. particular, he was on form going forwards. But, jeez, Goita just... I don't know how he saw them balls coming. They were point blank and he was getting them. You mean those two Danny Ng strikes? Yeah. I know, he did make two very, very good saves. I was convinced that when Geiter, well, when Danny Ings, rather, headed that in, oh, headed it towards, I was like, goal. 100% this is a goal. And he saved it. Fair play to him. It was He was very impressive. And I could see why, you would say, because the one goal deficit, mm. you know, Southampton could have won that game. It was a close game. And we both predicted Southampton to win that game, and they yeah. both lost. <laughs> well, not they Indeed. both lost, but we no. both lost rather. Yeah, that was an interesting. Yeah, match. I, I guess I guess it comes from the, the perspective like we expected something from the Liverpool game, but I mean we've basically written the Crystal Palace Southampton game off as a you know one 0 loss against Crystal Palace. But boy, was it entertaining. And then Gretia just I just think he took it to another level for me. And I was just I was yeah just had a great time watching that game, and eyes were on him rather than everything mm. else going on. Maybe it's the cynic in me, but part of me was thinking, because Zaha had a statistically very poor season last year and he scored four goals for Palace and he's already scored a quarter of what he scored last season on day one. But maybe it's the cynic in me that thinks maybe Zaha is like, right, I'm going to play out my skin in the first couple of days, just to see, uh, first couple of games rather, just to see if I can get a move somewhere because I think he wants out of Palace. And yeah. he, could have, he could have had two goals in the first game, which again would have been 50% of his tally from last season. And when you talk about a player like Wilfred Zaha, that's really bad. That's incredibly, those are incredibly bad stats. So it's nice to see him again showing that flair and confidence and danger in front of goal. Because towards the end of last season, Palace was so... I don't think they were bad, but they were so unlucky. They lost every single game. I think they lost like eight games, seven games in a row. And it was even when they played us, right? And that was towards the tail end of the season where United were really starting to be fatigued. Mm. They were the better team. and We beat them for, like 2-0. <laughs> like, yeah, they, just... they couldn't catch a break and they were somewhat scrambling and just trying to stay on their feet, basically. But they, but they looked renewed. <laughs> at least on day one of this season, I, I, I thought, oh, this is a 50-50 game rather than Southampton just absolutely. I mean, there were there were parts of the game where Southampton started to press them heavy, pin them back. But luckily, like you said, Gaito was just like, you're not scoring. And I believe if one goal had gone in, it would have been a case of Southampton probably would have scored again very soon, but very quickly yeah. after, but it, it, it never came to pass. So... Since we're speaking about the Southampton game, I do have a talking point here about it, which is the the rescinded red card. VAR was successfully used appropriately in the first game of the season, which we love. It was used twice in that game as well, wasn't it? It was used twice in that game, and the screen was used as well, which is which is the delightful thing we want to hear. We uh, mm-hmm. It didn't make it into the last uh, podcast episode, unfortunately, but we briefly did speak about how VAR was trying to change its image inside the Premier League and how there was going to be more of a push for referees to 
visually check their own decision rather than just confer with Sotley Park and then Sotley Park go, yeah, well, do what you want. Obviously, Carl Walker-Peters, who I slated in the last uh, episode, got a red card and then was after a big, 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 big kerfuffle, uh, John Moss went over to the screen, watched uh, the image again, uh, the incident again, and decided to rescind the red card. Well, I mean, you say a big kerfuffle. Obviously, I've only watched the highlights. It seemed very smooth and seemed very entertaining to me. It seemed like a very good use of uh, VAR. But something else I really liked about that, and we spoke about it in um, the last episode, was player safety. You know, he gave the red card straight out because he believed it was a high foot, dangerous to the player. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was just the best meshing of those two things we discussed, of player safety and VAR. That's when it should be used. You know, if a player's in danger, yeah, let's just instantly end it there, let's sort the issue out, and then use VAR to make sure that's a correct answer, you know? And I think it was the perfect use of it, and it was like a great experience. I didn't, especially in a highlight format, I mean, normally they've used VAR in highlights, you know, like, I don't know what I'm looking at, I don't know what's going on. Maybe that's, again, just football getting better in general of communicating things, but it felt like it flowed. It felt like the decision was correct off the field. I didn't think the on-field decision was correct as uh, the VAR proved. But again, it was taking player safety seriously, so I was really happy to see it all. I think, obviously, when it comes to stuff like red cards and high foot, or a high high foot in terms Mm. of player safety, I think it's almost like an equation, right? So you have to go, how late was the challenge? What was the intent? Was he looking at the ball? Was he looking at the player? So there are a lot of elements to it. And I I can think of a, a red card incident in particular. I can think of two, in fact. Um, one, which was Real Madrid versus Manchester United, and Nani went for a ball. He was looking at the ball. He jumped up high, hit the Real Madrid player. He was sent off. Everyone agreed they didn't think it was a red card, but there was a red card awarded. There's another one that's very similar to that, which was Sadio Mane two seasons ago against Liverpool. Uh, against Manchester City, sorry. And, and Mane went for a ball, contested the ball that Edison also went for, accidentally kicked uh, Edison in the face, wasn't looking at him. Didn't look like there was any intent. They both went for the same ball, and unfortunately it happened. Obviously, he did shatter Edison's cheekbones. It was quite a bad one. But in terms of intent, he was given a red card. He was sent off. But now we're seeing, in that that instant in in particular, yes, Carl Walker-Peters may have objectively been slightly late to the challenge. However, he was not looking to hurt the player. He did not look intentionally at the player. He was looking at the ball. So it is a yellow card. And it, it, this is, I remember having this argument when Victor Lindelof was sent off against Wolves for Man United. And apologies for citing so many United examples, but obviously I predominantly watch United games, so I can only use them for reference. But he was sent off for a second yellow that objectively wasn't a second yellow in, in a FA Cup. But, and, but you've got to think of the consequences of that. If he's given a red card, he could be suspended for the next Premier League game. But if it's not, if they're already lost, they're out of that competition, and then they have to go to their next game, and it's an incorrect decision, it's not fair on the team that he should then potentially miss out because of a poor decision. And that, and luckily, in that instance, VAR was used, and they rescinded the decision. They said, look, it's not, it's not a red card. And they've done the same to Carl Walker-Peters because they've just bought him, it's his debut. They paid 12, 12 million pounds for, pounds for him. The fans would be furious if he gets sent off and suspended for three games. It also puts Southampton at a disadvantage for the next three games. So 
when we're giving out red cards now, we have to be absolutely sure it is a red. Well, I, I think, yeah, and I think VAR is going to prove whether it's 100% a red. And I, I think the best example I can give uh, is pulling away from football. And we should look to the, you know, sports that are doing this correctly. But rugby, you know, if they're going for a high tackle or, you know, we can judge if it's a high tackle or we can judge if they're attempting to wrap. If there's intent to wrap and there's head contact, you know, you, you look at it and you go, okay, maybe that wasn't intentional. This is what's happened. And that's exactly what happened with Kyle Walker-Peters there is he's flying in, he's looking off, but he pulls his leg back. You can see him beginning to physically pull that leg in because he knows he's made the wrong choice because he knows he's not getting that ball and he knows someone's coming towards him. And the intention there is not to cause harm to someone. Obviously, if he clatters him and causes injury, he's going to be devastated anyway. So we just need to look and start using those as examples of look for the intent, look for what they're trying to do, but if someone does fly in recklessly and they're only looking at the ball and they're not looking at the player, I'm sorry, it's still a red card because you're not taking your uh, teammates or other players into account. You're just flying in with your body and it's just wrong. You've got to be mindful of both ball and player these days. Mm. Um, and yeah, but it was just great to see that in action. And finally, us not slagging off the AR and actually saying, you know what, it did something right for once. Yeah, no, it is good to have positives. And I think obviously the Premier League have definitely said to the officiators in 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 the league please try and use VAR appropriately because every single week it was a talking point last season mm. now marginal offsides will always and it were they were in the crystal palace game again although i do agree zaha was offside but i it's good to see that the the linesmen are abiding by the premier league's wishes and maybe it's because fans aren't in the stadium as well that they're being a little bit more conscientious about what they're doing. But if they're going to, if there's an attack and it looks like it's a goal scoring opportunity, they will not raise their flag until after the attack is done. Now, yes, mm. there is a consequence to that. You will feel more disappointment because you'll think he's definitely onside because that's been ingrained into you for years and years and years before VAR. Uh, and then, you know, they might, they might go, sorry, it's not a goal. But at least the attack gets to go to fruition. Because if you look last season, sometimes they'd go, they'd raise the flag. Someone would, uh, wouldn't score, wouldn't bother to put it in the net. And they'd be like, oh, it, was, it actually was onside. <laughs> and he definitely would have scored. And now you've effectively missed out on a goal. At least you know there'll be no opportunity cost to the sort of... Indeed. And there was definitely... The execution of it. And I definitely felt there was a more there was a, there was a greater calmness in the stadium as well when these decisions were happening. Obviously, the players are riled up, and Zaha was very disappointed with being offside and all that. But definitely, you know, not having the fans there, it felt like the ref had control. And yeah. it's, it's a real sadness that we've had to remove the fans from that equation and start getting to this point. But hopefully, we can start making that the norm and start, you know, creating a status quo of that respect for the referee on the field, which has been lacking in football for a long time yeah i think a an evolution of that is sort of fans have always criticized referees like i have bad opinions on certain referees in the premier league and don't think they do as good a job as other referees but i think referees should count their lucky stars that var has effectively taken the spotlight off them because prior to var it used to be oh howard webb gives man united so many penalties Oh, John Moss is a terrible referee. And now no one's saying that anymore. They're just complaining about VAR and, and the format that we are using to make decisions. But in, in a way, VAR protects the referee as much as we can criticize them. And 
when you break it down on a granular granular level, you can go look. VAR at the end of the day is just a the catalyst for a referee trying to make the best decision, but they still can make the wrong decision. But people talk less about the officiators and more about the medium of the decision. And I think if if you know if that's if that's the cost they got to pay for refs not getting absolutely hounded after they make a an incorrect decision and we have a safety net so that idiot referees don't go oh during that time when they um kieran gibbs was supposed to be sent off an arsenal and he sent off alex oxlade chamberlain you're like are you fucking kidding me you sent off the wrong player and and not only that it looks racist mate so come on and that's yeah. what var is going oh by the way you've sent off the wrong player you absolute idiot so yeah look it, it's good to see that they're, they're taking the right steps it's week one. It's 37 games to go each. Let's see if we can do it for... Look, I think if you have a success rate of 90%, people will go, look, there's going to be 10% incorrect decisions, and that's absolutely fine. People do make errors. But I think if you looked at the success rate last season, they would go, yeah, that's not acceptable. That's probably about 50% success rate. So... Yeah. Well, yeah, we're, we're week one. We're week one in, and I think the season's off to a, a flying start with a lot of positives. But after the excitement of that first first weekend of football, I've kind of put my head in the sand. So I don't really know what's going on in the world of transfers, and I know you've got a few you want to talk to me about. Yeah. So in terms of like transfers, is it, we've reached. We had the initial kind of mass purchasing where people had their targets and they wanted to go out and buy them so they've gone and done that obviously we've seen chelsea spend loads in the market there's a couple of interesting to transfers that we're waiting on really more than anything else now i will i will speak to you about spurs in a second but i will say obviously uh, chelsea have bought their goalkeeper mendy from um uh Rennes and for 20 million so kepper will finally be uh thrown into the abyss that's pretty much confirmed. He will be there for their next game. Obviously, he didn't play the other night. And again, I was surprised to see, briefly, Chelsea did not play as many of their uh, transferred-in players as I was expecting. They only played a couple of them. But I guess for squad harmony, it's going to take time. So, in terms of headline transfers, because we won't go as deep as last time, Koulibaly is still... It, look, it looks like Koulibaly to Man City could be off. It's gone very, very, very quiet. If it's going to happen, I think it's probably going to be induced by how they do in their first three games. If they concede goals but still win, they might buy him. If they lose, they probably definitely will buy him. <laughs> but if they maybe win their first three games and it's the last week of the season and Napoli don't really need the money, then maybe, maybe he doesn't go. I don't know. So, um, they, they, so you're saying they look far more in control of that situation. It's not Kudabadi's choice, really. Yeah, I think Napoli want to sell. Yeah. I think that's very clear. I think the president has said there's only three teams in the world right now that could afford to buy Kudabadi in the pandemic, which are Man City, Man United and, and PSG. But no one seems really willing to pay 75 million euros for yeah. a 29-year-old. And unfortunately, I agree with that. Sorry, he's in his prime years, but... He, he could get hit 30, his legs could go, and you've, you've spent a lot of money on a player who's effectively going to decline very quickly. So yeah, for me, the fear. sorry, can't do it. Now, I'll say Jaden Sancho for last because I, I, it's been a very frustrating window for Man United. And just before anyone wanted to know, Jaden Sancho is not currently a Manchester United player. So I'll talk briefly about Arsenal. 
And yes. this is a negative and a positive. Arsenal have used, supposedly, the rest of their transfer budget to sign Aubameyang on a three-year deal. Do I think that's good business? Yes, he's a very good player. And if you statistically took Aubameyang's goals out of last season for Arsenal, Arsenal, instead of finishing eighth, could have finished like 14th. He is very, very, very impactful in their team. And we saw that again on the weekend. We didn't really speak about that in our weekend recap, so apology, Arsenal fans. But again, Aubameyang, very dangerous, very lethal. But they sacked loads of people and they spent 375 grand a week on Arsenal. Doesn't look good PR-wise for Arsenal as a club. They've also bought loads of players. Now, what what I've heard and what I've read on the transfer grapevine, and again, this is opinion-based, neither are Ian and I are football journalists or even would go anywhere near that level. Apparently, this extension means that Arsenal won't do much more business. So... Thomas Party, who's supposed to be one of their primary targets, is looking like it probably won't happen at the moment. Um, Atletico want fifty million pounds for uh, fifty million euros for him, which is about forty-two thousand, uh, forty-two million pounds. Arsenal don't want to pay that. They tried to offer eighteen million plus plus Guendouzi, and Atletico were like, "No, no, no! Take your Amazon Prime vouchers and get the hell out of here." So, it, they also are looking at uh, Oar from Lyon who looks like one of the best young midfielders in the world. But again, Lyon wants 60 million euros for him. And Arsenal, I just don't think, can afford it. In terms of... Tottenham, I mean, yeah, they, what, what, sorry. Well, Arsenal may have taken themselves off that sort of transfer market. I do think, like you were saying, it is a good bit of business. Bamiang has been doing so much for them. And, he's, and he looks strong in that game. So to secure him for the next three years and, you know build some structure into that Arsenal team, I think it's the right choice. I think there's two interesting uh, perspectives on the Aubameyang deal. Right, I believe Aubameyang's 30, 31. Let me just quickly check how old he is. Uh, here he is. Right, so he's 31. Now, a lot of people were saying there's no way Aubameyang's going to renew his contract because Arsenal finished eighth and they only won the FA Cup. I can understand that argument. He is a world-class striker, in my opinion, and he could play at Barcelona, at Real Madrid, at Bayern Munich, at PSG, whatever. He could, he could go to Liverpool and bang them in and probably win the Premier League. However, again, yes, he could have gone on a free at the end of next season, but he would have been 32. So we don't know what his legs are going to be like. Not everyone can play to, like Zlatan and Cristiano and still do it at a top level at 35. You don't know. It's a risk. So there's probably teams that aren't willing to take a risk on him. He probably is like, well, I'm 32 now. Maybe I just stay at Arsenal. I've won a, tr- I've won a, tr- a couple of trophies here. I bang him in, in the Premier League and Premier League proven. What's the point in taking a risk and, and, and going elsewhere? Right. The other thing is Arsenal need a talisman. He is their talisman. They needed him to re-sign. It, it, that, it's just as simple as that for yeah, me. That's, that's how I'm looking at it, really, myself. Is you know, he is that one that you know he's going to sell shirts for the next three years, so mm. you need it. You know, and and Arsenal, I think they've done good business. William came and did, it got three assists against Fulham. Now I know it's only Fulham, but he came straight into the team, hit the ground running. He's Premier League proven, and William, I guess, is an argument when people go, "Oh, well, why do you only buy Premier League players? Why don't you go and buy European players?" Well, the difference is, if you if I buy someone from Wolves, I know they can play in the Premier League. That's very true. It's as simple as that. So they went, "Oh, William's contract's ending at Chelsea. Let's just get him on a free." You know, they they bought Aubameyang what 
three years ago now, when he was like 20, 28. These are his prime years. Why not just pay him an extortionate amount of money to bang him in? Because if not, he'll only go and do it elsewhere and win more trophies without you. So that, that's, that's my two cents on that. But I think it is a shame. Well, not necessarily, because I don't really want to see Arsenal do that well. But I think it's a shame that obviously it hinders the rest of their transfer business and doesn't look good in a general decency basis that they're willing to pay someone you know, over a million pounds a month but let people go. That doesn't look good. But, you know, you can't, companies, they only care about themselves, not anyone else. So I'll briefly speak to you about Spurs. Right. Over the last sort of 24 hours, before I wrote these talking points up and, and, and gave them to you, uh, we were in for a player, Manchester United, called uh, Sergio Regulon, right? Now, that was very close to happening. However, there were certain demands in the players' uh, situation, which Man United weren't okay with. So, Real Madrid, he's their third choice uh, left back at the moment. They have Marcelo, they have Ferland Mendy. And they have um, Sergio Regulon. Now, he was on loan at Sevilla last season. He wants he wanted to go back on loan to Sevilla, but Sevilla were like, no, we want to buy a permanent left-back, which they went and got in Marcus Acuna, which is now done. So it's like, right, well, there's two teams that are interested in him, Spurs and uh, Manchester United. So United started negotiating. We agreed personal terms with him. He wanted to come to us because obviously we had Champions League football. However, the condition was that Real Madrid wanted a buyback clause in the contract non-negotiable. They wanted to sell him for 30 million euros, which is about 26, 27 million pounds. And they wanted the opportunity to buy him back of 35 million pounds. So about 40 million euros. And they also wanted the option for first refusal, which basically means if anyone were to sell him on, so say for example, Barcelona wanted to buy him for maybe like 45 million, you'd say, look, Real, they want to buy him. Do you want to buy him first? You've got first refusal. Now, United were not okay with those clauses. They don't want them in because it's essentially, in their eyes, a glorified loan move, right? Because effectively, he wants to go back to Madrid. It's an easy way for him to go back into uh, go back to Madrid in two years' time. But if he comes and lights the Premier League up at left back, you could be selling a, a sixty million player for thirty five million pounds. That's the problem with it. And also, when you're building a team for a future for the future, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to do, it doesn't necessarily fit the mould. Now, so here's what happened. He agreed to that, and United were close to negotiating those clauses out of the contract. However, Spurs at the eleventh hour came in, paid more than what United were willing to pay. So they said they, were, said they would pay 30 million euros um, and agreed to both clauses. Now, I could go, all right, I'll take the L on that, Ian. Well done. You've gazumped us, yada, yada, yada. And there's been a lot of Spurs fans on Twitter today going, hey, we've got more pelling power than Oligar Solskjaer. The reality is, though, this says two things to me. One, that's the wrong mentality in terms of transfers. Now, I'm not saying that from a place of we missed out on the transfer. It is a glorified loan. He will go back to Madrid if he does well, right? And if he doesn't do well, you've wasted your money, essentially, right? Two, it says to me that Jose Mourinho has no intention of being at Spurs for a long time. And this will only be further compounded by the second bit of transfer news that's come out today, which is that he wants to loan 
loan slash potentially buy if they can find the right fee Gareth Bale back from Real Madrid right and that's not paper talk that is something that is legitimately being talked by tier one journalists who are saying by the way there's a high chance that Gareth Bale might actually come back to Tottenham at 31 <laughs> on loan when he's on 600 grand a week you know, you know what it all screams at me, and it's good we set this up as being nerds, is when they try and remake, like, one of your favourite films. Mm. Like, yeah, we're getting back the old actors. We're getting back this. Like, we're going to do this. And it's all just for that one moment, that one season, that one year. And what, why are they bringing Bale back? Like, we, it's always been on the cards. It's always been chatter. But every Spurs fan has always gone, well, he betrayed us, so screw him. But now they're saying he's coming back, and we're like, okay, cool. It's just like... I don't know, I, but yeah, it just feels like, oh, we're going to reboot this show, we're going to do it better this year, but like you say, it's all very, I can't think of the word, but it's just small time, it's just like, you know, this isn't going to last long, it's only temporary, it's, it's not look, the best mentality. There's a word, there's a phrase that's been going around today, and I didn't want to say it, because obviously we're mates, but obviously small club mentality has been flying around Twitter today, mm -hmm. in terms of, um, especially from the Man United perspective of like, look, we're happy to say we didn't want those clauses in the contract and we'd rather miss out on the player than buy him and have to essentially give him back to Real Madrid because you want to know, and yes, I am pointing at the badge as I say this, listeners, you want to know that people want to play for the badge and that reeks to me that Sergio Reguilón does not want to play for the badge. He wants to play for the Real Madrid badge, but he can't get into the first team because of the players in front of him. So, yes, I think it is... Smart business from you in terms of you do need an attacking left back because I think Ben Davies is well yeah, past no. it. Mm. But at the same time, doesn't it reek of like the bail thing reeks of PR, right? So you've had a it, lost your first game of the season. You had a really bad season last season. You've gone from the heights of the Champions League final to like mid table, not mid table, but like sixth place mediocrity or whatever it's going to be, whatever you, however you want to spin it. It's like when Arsenal bought Henri back on loan. Do you know what I mean? He's Bale, objectively, is probably one of your club legends, right? And when he was in the Premier League, yes, he lit it up. He was awesome to watch. I remember when he scored that, like, 30-yard screamer last-minute winner against West Ham. I was like, what a bloody goal. And he was an very exciting player. However, he's a golfer. He's been playing golf for the last year and a half. He's not played for Real competitively for a long time. He's 31 years old. How do you know he's not well past it? He could come on. Yes, he scored the greatest Champions League goal I've ever seen in, in the final. Credit where credit's due. The man can play football. But... He hasn't played in such a long time, no. such a risk. It is 100% to me a PR stunt. And again, like you are saying about Mourinho earlier, it's like he's just trying to do everything to make his name. Like everything we're talking about screams like anti-Potticino. Like it's just the opposite of everything he was trying to do. He was trying to build a team from the ground up. Everyone slated him when he didn't bring any players in. Yeah, it didn't work out in our favour, but he was trying to build this really concrete team. You know, we had a really good season the year before and all that and it was looking good and it started to fall apart and maybe that was because of you know youth or inexperience but where Mourinho's going with it I'm just like this is PR and this is about you and this is about just making this like one year two year team and that's it and then you're out so yeah I'm not I'm not excited by any of those other than yeah great I'm always there for the defense of Tottenham I've said it before like Tottenham are all about that strong iconic back four so if it does work out for us all for it, but yeah, it doesn't look like the best thing in my eyes right now look, in I terms think, of longevity. I think no, transfer news is hot, rarely ever negative, 
right? There are occasions where teams panic buy things, but this isn't a panic buy because you've got three weeks of the window left. You panic buy in the last week, right? When you go, oh God, we've not bought any of our targets. Bale could come and he could light up the Premier League for another year. It, it, the, the thing is, someone's getting ousted out of your starting lineup, right? How yeah. is Bale going to impact Harry Kane's game? Because Bale will want to be the main man. I can guarantee you that, right? So, and Bale obviously has played centre forward quite a lot for Real Madrid in the past before Zidane took over. Does he play on the left? Does he play on the right? What happens to him in Song? Is it Lucas Moura that goes out of the team? Look, I'm glad that you're potentially getting him because, and this will lead on to our next point, which is about Jaden Sancho. And don't even fucking get me started on what Man United are doing in the window because, I, yeah, I might have gone in on Spurs there a little bit about business practices and Mourinho and all this sort of stuff. Man United are doing dog shit in the window. They're doing absolutely fucking nothing. We could have got Sergio Regulon. That's fine. We didn't really need a left back. It was nice competition for Luke Shaw. But, you know, sometimes you need to give give the fans a little bit of joy, a little bit of hope. And I think, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, United were probably going to go, we might get Don, Donny van der Beek last week of the window. But we're because we're, the Sancho deal stalling, what we'll do is we'll buy Donny van der Beek so the fans are happy, and then we'll keep working on the Sancho deal. Now, I said in the last podcast, I, and I, believe me, I know this because I'm the one who edited it and listened it all through, that a bid might have gone in for James Sancho. Lies. Didn't happen. Was supposed to happen. Didn't happen. I don't know what's going on with the Sancho deal. Dortmund are being very smug about the fact that he's not staying. Sebastian Kell's come out and said that he definitely isn't leaving Dortmund this summer. United are adamant that he's still on the negotiating table and it still might happen. He's definitely not going to play for United this weekend if he were to sign. And he probably won't be here for the Brighton game. Now, the problem is the Glazers, it was just announced quarterly or annual finances that out of the top, top six clubs, the only owners to take money out of the club are the Glazers, which are Manchester United's owners. They've taken £90 million in the last five years out of the club into their own pockets. So when you've got a, a owners that want to do that, that see Manchester United as a business rather than a club and care about the success, what happens, and this happened to Mourinho, and I don't want to excuse Mourinho because I think he plays very unattractive, negative football. And someone actually said to me this week that if you play Mourinho's style of football, you have to win. Otherwise, the fans will never be happy. And I agree with that statement. However, the Glazers, when he was Man United's manager, when he did well and finished second, they did not back him in the market because, they're like, well, you don't need any new players because you've got second place. And it's happening again. They're going, oh, well, Ollie, you've got third place in the table. You don't need any new players. But if you look at all the teams around us, all the teams around us in the table, they've all improved their starting 11. All of them. All of them. So what's going to happen is Man United are going to finish sixth again. And then Man United will spend money and we'll go again. But the project will never really start slowly turning the wheels of uh, uh, progress because every time we make, oh, well done, you finished third. Oh, well done, you won the Europa League. They go, oh, hang on, you don't need any money. You've had success. What are you talking about? You know, it's difficult. Do I think James Sancho is going to come to Man United? I said 85% last week. I would now say 60%. I'm not convinced he's going to come to Manchester United. I think he wants to come to Manchester United. I think Dortmund would sell him. I think United simply, well, sorry, let me tell you, say how it is. I think the Glazers don't want to spend the money. It's as simple as that. They don't want to spend 108 million on him. Uh, that's pounds, 120 million euros is, is the price Dortmund want. In terms of the only way I see him coming is if we can sell players. Now I can tell you this week that Chris Morning was supposed to go to Roma. 
that because United were so insistent they wanted an extra five million pounds, Roma have backed out the deal and have looked at alternatives and signed someone this week. There's only a couple of ways Man United can make money this window. They have to sell Sergio Romero, who doesn't want to be at the club, Marcus Rojo. Probably combined, you're going to get maybe about 13 million for them. It's not a lot. Chris Smalling would have been about 15, so there's 30 million for you. If Wilfred Zaha was to be sold to another club, United would be entitled to 25% of the transfer revenue. So if he goes to Everton for like 50 million, United could get like, I don't know, what's it? 10 million, 15 million, whatever it is. Yeah. So there's 40 million, but last season, you, you go to me, you go, well, last season, man, United bought Harry Maguire for 80 million pounds, and they bought. By the way, if we buy in Harry Maguire for £80 million, Jane Sancho for £100 million is ridiculous. Just buy him. But Juan Bissaka for £40 million. You bought Bruno Fernandes for £60 million. Yes, you are right. But we sold Lukaku for £70 million. So in, in essence, we only spent £60 million. So unless, unless United can generate player sales, they will not buy players. So yes, while I am feeding the cycle wearing the new United kit, sorry. I want to support the club. It's frustrating. It's a catch-22. I support the club. The club. I lose out because they refuse to buy players. I have had an incredibly frustrating week with United. It's been like beaten down emo- emotionally. And even, it made even worse, exacerbated by the fact that, you know, obviously Spurs, your wanker, Ian, <laughs> but, uh, beat us to a player signing. So, look, the, the optimist in me says we're going to get Jane Sancho. We're probably not going to get anyone else. The uh, cynic in me is saying we're probably going to get Josh King on deadline day and I'm going to smash my face for a car windscreen. So See, we discussed this last week, mate. You never enjoy your transfer windows. Man United are so cruel in them. I don't think I've ever experienced a year when you've gone, hey, Ian, we just signed whoever. We're going to have a great season. It never happens with you. You're like, they're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. They've messed this up. This is going wrong. Then we're just going to end up with this. And then it comes to the like, deadline day. I think it was, I think the last time you got super excited was Pogba. And that was like, on, that was like deadline day. I think we signed him, wasn't it? It was about a week before. But a week, know, yeah. But you, still, the tension was there. You've been talking to him for about, I don't know. Six weeks. Six yeah, weeks. It's like, a joke. It was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. And you were just like, this is happening. This is happening. Yeah. I feel for you, man. I feel for you. I, I just don't think it's going to happen this time. I think, unfortunately, it's because the Glazers have an out of going, we're in a pandemic. I think, yeah. I think ultimately, that's all they're going to say. We're in a pandemic, can't afford it. Whereas, you know, other clubs clearly can. Here's something for you, frightening any Manchester United fans are listening. Leeds have spent more money coming up from the championship than Man United are willing to spend. This is how clubs die. This is how clubs become Arsenal, Right. We go from being at the pinnacle of success and slowly, 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 slowly drop down the table. And soon we'll be like, hey, at least we won the FA Cup because that's what Arsenal fans are saying right now. Now, Arsenal fans, I'm sorry, Arteta looks like he's doing a good job and you played very well. And I think there's an exciting project going on there. But the point is, when you take your foot off the pedal, you slow down. And United are are slowly, systematically slowing down over the years because they don't want to spend money in the transfer market. And it is disheartening and frustrating, especially when I would say in the Premier League, there are, there's, everyone is a football club and many are successful clubs, but there is only one football club which is a brand, and that is Manchester United. Right? It's us, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yes, Liverpool, you're incredibly successful. Don't get hurt about it. But when people see this, this badge, this sign... They know it's Man United, right? 
well that's just purely the Beckham effect isn't it like that that was that was the the 90s were the years of branding and Beckham knew that and Beckham made Man United what it is in terms of a brand and yeah I totally know what you're saying man like people are buying the badge they're buying into that idea and you know the Glaziers are looking yeah we're not gonna have any fans in these stadiums so we need to cut our losses and make the money where we can which as a fan sucks like massively so I mean, you haven't yet, you've yet to play this season. Just remember, you know, you, you still showcase your skills this week. So, you know, it's not all down. It's not all doom and gloom, but be objective, to be objective about mm. it, when you go look at the starting 11 that lost to Sevilla in the Europa League final and you look at this one, you go, well, what's changed? Yeah. Right? How, how can you say, Glazers and Edward Word and anyone at the top of Man United, that you feel that we're going to do any better this season if we can't beat Sevilla in the Europa League? And then we go into the new season where everyone's improved apart from Liverpool in the top six, right? We could lose, our starting 11 could lose to the likes of Everton and Wolves and all this sort of stuff. And that's where you have Mate, to Everton, look. Everton's a great side. What you want about? Yeah, well, you, side, would, you, would, you would say that. <laughs> but, you know, look, I digress. That, that, that's what's going on in the world of transfers at the moment. Nothing too exciting. We're not going to talk too heavily about each team like we did last week, but... You know, obviously you can hear the pain and frustration in my voice. And I hope when I get off this call, you know, there's some amazing United who's like, oh, United put a bid in for James Sancho. But no, look, if Sancho's going to come to United, I think it will happen the last week of the window. It's as simple as that. I don't think it's going to happen before that. There are many reasons that, many theories and stuff. People say, oh, the Glazers, because they're going to pay him 250 grand a week. They don't want to, they don't want to sign him until he actually starts playing to save money. They want to uh, compound interest on the on the money for him sitting in the bank account, so they effectively don't lose that money. There's like, look, that, that's how cynical our fan base is because of our ownership. But in terms of transfers, frustrating at the moment for the top six. Other people seem to be doing business here and there, but there was this agenda pushed out that. COVID-19 was going to allow big clubs to buy players like Mbappe and Sancho for cheap. No, it's not going to happen because clubs, any club who's relatively successful doesn't have to sell. You might go and get a young, exciting starlet for a bargain from somebody like Ajax and we go, oh, look, Donny van der Beek for £35 million. They need the money. Great. Get him. But not every club's going to be that way. You know, and Sa I'm sure Dortmund don't want to sell Sancho and Koulibaly don't, uh, and Napoli don't want to sell Koulibaly and so on and so forth. There are some clubs that need to sell and there's some clubs that don't. But here we are. Now, this now for, to, to, to compound my pain, we must now do a first ever brace showcase on Mohamed Salah. I know you've been waiting for this moment. I was just waiting for the facts and figures that you've lovingly researched and spent your time <sighs> delving into his life and his world. Look, I want a Ian, full rounded picture of this gentleman. Ian tried to give me an out on the weekend. He said, well, technically he scored a hat trick. So if someone else scores a brace, we don't have to do it on him. Right. And I was like, no, it's fine. And lo and behold, not one other fucking player scored a brace. <laughs> so while Mahal did not score a brace, he scored a hat trick. Well, he did score a brace, but then improved to a hat trick. We must do our first ever brace showcase. Now, bear with us. We are testing the waters on this. However, I wrote a lovely little bullet point narrative and sent it to Ian and said, like, um, oh, this is what we're going to talk about. So what I will do for anyone who doesn't know Mohamed Salah, I'll try to paint the best picture in terms of his career trajectory, how successful he is, how many goals he's scored, how vital he is to Liverpool's starting 11 and their success. 
but you definitely will know who he is if you're a football fan. There's no way you won't. So we'll start at the beginning. Uh, so Mohamed Salah started his career out, obviously, in Egypt with a, with, in a team called Al Mokawulan, I think. I'm sorry if I butchered that. But hey man, I'm glad you took the, the attempt on that one. Yeah, I was reading it and I was like, I don't think I've got this. <laughs> he, he had a, uh, a relatively slow start to his career. He made 38 appearances for them and scored 11 goals. Uh, and then he, he moved over, over to uh, Basel in Switzerland. And again, a relatively slow start. I will say, Salah at the start of his career didn't look like he was ever going to be an exceptionally talented footballer. And that's, that's not a, a subjective criticism. That's on a statistical basis and how much success he had. So he was at Basel for a couple of years until 2014. And eventually he got his, not big money move, but he got his move to the Premier League. Chelsea saw him. They thought, oh, he's got a wand of a left foot. Let's get him over to Chelsea, see how he does now. If anyone knows Chelsea, they claim to be an academy club, but they're not. They're a hoarder of youth players. He was hoarded. He was. He played 13 appearances for Chelsea in two years, uh, and he scored two goals. Now, that brings us on to the first uh, bullet point. And in a way, it's, it's, it's like any player who doesn't find success in the Premier League, they go out. Becoming frustrated by his lack of opportunity at Chelsea, Mohamed Salah decided, right, I'm off. Adios. If you don't want me, don't appreciate me, I want to go out on loan. So initially, on his first step of the Italian romp of his career, he moved to Florentina and he made 16 appearances and scored six goals, which is not, not a bad return at all, Ian. It's, it's for, at the age of what would he have been then? He probably would have been like 23. That's pretty yeah. good. But then came the most pivotal point in his career and we'll have much more to talk about when we start talking about his incredible success and his frightening frightening statistics at Liverpool but his loan move to Roma is the pivotal point in his career he went to Roma he played 34 games for me only scored 14 goals nothing, nothing to write home about too much but that's league gold it's pretty good Roma was so impressed by Mohamed Salah that they were like right we're going to buy him so he moved to Roma on a permanent deal from Chelsea. Chelsea went, this guy's never going to be what we need in the Premier League. Adios. See you later. You can go. Good riddance. Goodbye. Now, he was only at Roma for one season, but technically, obviously, he was there for two because he spent a year on loan there. He, again, he did very much the same. He, only, he made 31 appearances, but he only scored 15 goals. In a shrewd bit of business, and this is where we really start to look and go like, oh, wow what a player you might have on your hands here. In a shrewd bit of business by Liverpool, I believe they bought him for something like £35 million from Roma. Jurgen Klopp went, I need a right winger. Salah, he's a left-footed right winger, which is always of the right. I'm going to buy him. And then this is the point in his career where he started to terrorise Man United fans' dreams. Record breaker, I've got written down here, unfortunately. Now, if there was any man that you were going to say on paper that was going to break Alan Shearer's, and I'm not talking about, there's no way, I'm sorry, I will say it now with confidence, there's no way Mohamed Salah will break Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record. But his individual season goal-scoring record, Mohamed Salah did break. And what a year and what a contest we had. In his first season for Liverpool, Mohamed Salah scored 32 goals in 36 appearances for Liverpool. That is outrageous. That is more than Cristiano Ronaldo, who scored only... The most Ronaldo scored in one season for United was 31. 
The most Luis Suarez scored in a single season for Liverpool was 31. The most Alan Shearer scored in a single Premier League season, because obviously any football diehards will tell you, well, when it was a 40 league season, Shearer scored more. Yes, but in the Premier League, Salah is the top goal scorer in a single season at the top flight ever in terms of Premier League. It's incredibly impressive. The highlight of that season, I remember, is he scored four goals against Watford in one game. Not only did he dominate the league in terms of being clinical, he was hotly contested by Harry Kane that season, who obviously Kane in the last couple of years hasn't been as prolific as we as we used to. But in that season, Harry Kane scored 30 goals in only 27 appearances. Right Now, now you know, people argue, go, yeah, well, Harry Kane was injured. Yeah. But to do that neck and neck under pressure is incredible. And very rarely do we get a season where someone is so clinical in front of goal. You can look last season, and we will talk about last season because Salah is involved in the conversation again for top goal scorer in the Premier League. Well, before we get on to that, that season, that last season, why do you think he just switched on when he came to Liverpool? Like, do you think it's because he'd been at Chelsea, got some Prem experience? Because like, it, it, there's definitely a fluctuation. Like He's doing well at Roma, and then he comes to Liverpool, and he just switches on. I think it's just sometimes, well, look, it's a combination of ability and system, but I think some players just go into a system and it's like, this is the perfect system for me. Yeah, he came and I was thinking, eh, he looks wasteful. He can, he can be that. Then I remember his first ever game for Liverpool, I think, in the Premier League was uh, Watford and it was 3 3, right? And the second one was when they beat him 4 0. And I remember Liverpool conceded the last, the last second of the game, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But. Some players just come in instantly, but he always looked a threat. But I think Klopp, and credit where credit's due, I think there's two world-class managers in the world right now. One of them is Guardiola, and one of them is Jurgen Klopp. Klopp has built a system where Liverpool, attacking prowess, is very hard to defend against. Yeah. And when you've got a left footer, I used to criticise Salah and would say that he's too left-footed. And I would still agree that he is too left-footed. He does not like to shoot with his right foot. However, when you have a, le- a left foot which is as lethal as his, do you need a right mm. foot? That, and that, that, that's, that's the real question. I think, yeah, I just think, look, he, he integrated into the system. He has a great partnership with Sadio Mane and Firmino. Those, I think if you take any of those three away from that lineup, they would struggle to score goals. Because the fluidity they have and the harmony they have and the, uh, the ability to sense each other's positioning and work with each other is frightening. And that's why I think they get so many goals. But I, I think on that basis as well is what Mo Salah has done so well is taking that and then embodied it and moved it over to the national side of Egypt because he's elevated their game so much. Yeah, they've got this figurehead now, you know, just like South Korea with... Hong Min Sun, like they did the same thing. They got a figurehead, but they've also elevated those games because you know Egypt were becoming you know world, well not world world contenders, but they were getting into the potential of being in the World Cup. They were, you know, constantly winning the African Cup. Like they became contenders, whereas they'd always just been middling ground. Yeah, they get to the World Cup every once in a while, but no one really put any money on them. But now with Mo, they look far better. I'm not saying they're a perfect team, but I just appreciate how. Salah has used everything that Liverpool's given him, 
moved it to his nation and then brought it back to Liverpool. Like he's become a player. It's not oh, just yeah. about the team he's in. He's also become a player. Yeah, that's that's not me discrediting Salah. I just think sometimes people are like, if you could put a multiplier on a footballer, yeah, you say, sure. do you know what I mean? If you said like, look, Harry Kane is uh, times two and Salah's times three, but then like maybe someone at Wolves is a, is just a base level, no no additional add on, whatever it would be. That that's how you'd view him, right? But yeah. I remember that summer. I remember the 2018 World Cup. People were mm. were interesting watching Egypt purely because of Salah. And if that doesn't tell you that there's something special going on there, or there's a prolific player there, or at least an engaging player going on, I don't know what does. Now, obviously, Egypt didn't have a great World Cup, but he did score. Now, in terms of a narrative of this showcase, that season, they had an absolute incredible year. However... I believe it was that season that they, yes, it was, that they got to the Champions League final and they lost the final to Real Madrid. And Gareth Bale did score the overhead bicycle kick of dreams and crushed them. And obviously, as part of the narrative, Salah was quite badly injured in that final. Some say uh, purposely by Sergio Ramos, some don't. Uh, however, he had his shoulder dislocated, which meant his performance at the World Cup was in threat and hindered. Now, unfortunately, because of that injury, because of that mental setback, because because of the loss, it did take uh, Salah a little bit of a time to get start going again in the following season. So, in, in his in his sophomore, it would be sophomore year for Liverpool. It would be, I guess, he. Scored 22 goals in 38 games. He had to share the golden boot with two other players that season, which was Sadio Mane and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Now, obviously, that is the most horrific way to share the golden boot. One with your teammate and then one with another player as well. I remember on the last day of the season, I was like, how's this going to work then? Because obviously, they always <laughs> interview the first who won the golden boot. I was like, three of them won it. You know, and Mane, arguably on the last day of that season, I remember, could have won the Golden Boot. He missed the yeah. chance right at the end. Um, however, that does, again, reiterate the team game and how dangerous they are as a unit. When you've got two players that have both scored 22 goals in the Premier League, you're like, oh, damn. So, Liverpool's second year, although Salah wasn't as prolific in front of goal, was the year that they really showed, by the way, we could potentially win the Premier League with this starting eleven, because they came within just a couple of points of Manchester City. I think it was three points at the, uh, six points at the end of the season. They really succeeded to the line. City had a phenomenal year, but the narrative, the Hollywood narrative of he comes in, they improve the team. And sadly, I mean, let me put some context into that. Man United finished above Liverpool when he scored 32 goals. So there was obviously some defensive frailties going on in Liverpool, but as a team, they started to grow. And the bat that round the catalyst, which was the front line of Mane and Salah and Firmino. So then what happened was they failed to win the Premier League. What a shame for them, but not for me. Then, but that season, they, they did a great redemption arc and Salah was instrumental in that because they made it all the way back to the Champions League final for consecutive seasons, almost reverse of Liverpool's 2005 Champions League scenario. 
and they won against Tottenham. Sorry, Ian. Well, why do you need to bring, like you said, they got to the Champions League. I thought we were done with it. Well, well, I should have known. I should have known you were just going to jab it in. After the, only, you... the only reason I had to bring it up is because obviously Salah did score in the final. And he did mention that the other day in a post-match interview about, you know, when they were asking him, they said, listen, did you feel nervous about taking the penalty to win it for the team? He said, look, when you take a penalty in the Champions League final, you know, these sort of penalties aren't as nervous anymore, which some would view as arrogant, including me. But some, yeah. would, but some don't. But I, I don't it's, the confidence you, it's the confidence you've got to have. But what I found interesting about that, and when I did most bit of reading on Salah, is his first Europa League goal was against Spurs as well. So he's been hounding us since day one. He's just been <laughs> taking the mick. Was that at Roma? Time. Yeah, when, he, when they knocked us out and they got into the semis. Look, here's, here, here's another Hollywood moment for you. Obviously, Salah scored against Roma, didn't he, in that first season? Yeah. And they knocked them out of the Champions League semi-final, and then he went to the final. You know, So, yeah, Salah does have a very Hollywood-esque narrative to him. Now, obviously, they won the Champions League final. Salah scored the penalty. Liverpool were finally, were, you know, yeah, we won, we won, we're champions, champions of Europe and all this sort of stuff. So then we got on to last season, obviously the season where it's almost odd statistically wise that Salah has become less prolific in front of goal when Liverpool have become more successful. Salah, the following season, scored 19 goals in 34 appearances when Liverpool won the league, which was last year, but contributed less in front of goal, but the team were more successful, which again reiterates how much of a unit Liverpool are. I was just going to say that it's just going back to your point about, you know, they fixed the team. Yeah, they had the man up front. Yeah, they had well, the men up front and they were proving their worth. But it was about working as a team. And, you know, we know that's what ultimately wins the league. It's not just one man, it's a team. If you look statistically when United won the league in terms of the years they did it, I, I promise you the goals will not be individually based. They will be spread across the front line. And I think when teams do that, and I think obviously Man City do that as well, when they've won the league, again, obviously they've had one out-and-out person who's up there, but it's usually, you know, Salah's got, or whatever, Aguero's got 25, and then Sterling's contributed 15. Do you know, mm. So, you know, it's, it's all about sharing alone. Now, obviously, objectively, Salah's start to the new campaign, which is um, already three goals in one appearance, frightening, but he... Look, champion of the world, I've got written down here. And unfortunately, at one point in time, for me, he was. He is an incredible player. I'm sure we will have to do... We Well, we will never do, I've decided, a showcase on a player more than once. Because once you've told their statistical story and their narrative story... Um, well, I mean, I mean, maybe Salah will get a redux. Maybe he'll need a... Once we perfect the system... Who, who knows? Listen, I think Liverpool are going to be in for a testing season. So we shall see. They've got Chelsea next weekend, which will be an exciting game for mm -hmm. me to watch. We will see what happens. But some highlights I have written down, and then we can sort of speculate on his future. So as, as the headline, as what you need to know, in 122 Premier League appearances, Mohamed Salah has scored 78 goals and got 29 assists. That is absurd. If he joined, if he joined the Premier League when he was three years younger, I might be having a conversation today with you here that he could break Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record because those are frightening stats, right? He is well on his way to the Premier League 100 club. 
I'd like to point out that Jamie Vardy has only just joined that, and Jamie Vardy has been in the Premier League for five seasons. If this doesn't tell you how prolific this Egyptian is in front of goal, I don't know what does. Right? Also, to contribute 29 assists as well is mental. He has won the Golden Boot twice. He shared one of them, and in one of them he broke Alan Shearer's individual goal-scoring record. Then he's been player of the season once. He's been Premier League champion once. And he has won player of the month in the Premier League three times, once in November 2017, once in February 2018, and once in March 2018. No one has managed yet, not even the great Harry Kane, to emulate Omri's three back-to-back player of the months. But I, w- I will break this down slightly further for you. Goals per match is 0.64 a match, expected. Scary numbers. Headed goals, four. This further reiterates my left-footed uh, yeah. claim. 63 goals with his left foot and 11 with his right foot. Penalty scored nine. It's not too bad. I've got to remember that two of those were recently added the other day. He has had 445 shots and 200 of those have been on target. His shooting accuracy is at 45%. He has hit the woodwork 11 times. Big chances missed is only 58 Assists, 29, as we said. Passes, 3,293. Passes per match is 27. Big chances created is 41. And crosses into the box, 199. He has had four yellow cards in his 122 appearances in the Premier League. Well, I think that, I think that breakdown just demonstrates how his evolution, how he's gone from that kind of one-man player to the team player that Liverpool have been needing. And, you know, starting to spread the ball around, the amount of passing he's doing, the opportunities he's creating. He's definitely becoming, uh, not, I guess, just he's becoming like the player of the team, you know? They're becoming a team and, you know, it's not all built around one person. He can fit in there and do what he needs to. It's just I th- I think it's he's, impressive. I think he's a definitive right winger. I think... Yeah. When people look back and think who are who are the, the classical traditional archetypes of that position, he will be up there. He's uh, claimed the African Player of the Year two years in a row, is it? Yes, and also he's broken the goal scoring record, I believe, for um, African player in a single season. The man is filled with accolades. Uh, mm. look, I, I could break. Uh, here you go. Look, Egypt's highest all-time goal scorer in World Cup history with two goals. Now, some of you might. Smirk at that, but they're not a they're not a very good international team. But that's still he will always be. By the way, I scored two goals at the World Cup. Yeah, he's also Egypt's all-time goal scorer in the African Cup of Nations with fourteen. He's the highest scoring Egyptian ever in the Syria with eight, uh, thirty-five goals in eighty-one games. You know, the man's going to look back on a career and never be like, oh, I I I, I could have done better. This will be a, a a footballer that looks back with very little regret. Now, mm-hmm. all you have to do is win the Premier League once to fulfil your dream or win an a, a, a individual league title once to fulfil your dream. He's done it. He's won the Champions League. He's won. I'm sure he's going to go on to win something else this season. However, and the last point of my, my narrative on this, on this brace showcase is looking to the future. I think this is a pivotal year for Salah. He's 28. There's been a lot of links to Real Madrid for a long time. I know Real Madrid like the look of him. Hazard hasn't worked out for Madrid. So the future is, will he reach the Premier League 100 club? Yeah. He's probably, if he plays right, plays his cards right, he's probably going to reach it this season. Now, 
100 goals in the Premier League is nothing to shy about. I mean, Harry Kane's only got Harry Kane's got 143 goals. He's only seven away from the top 10. Salah could really leave his mark if he stays at Liverpool. The question is, where does the future lead him? If he's achieved everything, he's won the Premier League, he's won the Champions League, you might think, well, I've always wanted to play for X club, whatever that might be. Do I want to go and be a Galactico? Do I want to go and replace Messi at Barcelona? Because believe yeah. me, that time isn't far away. Well, I think I think for me, he, I think he's looking at at least a minimum of another two seasons, including this season at Liverpool. Because it's going to be that proving point of, you know, if Liverpool don't get it, if they don't win this year and he leaves, everyone's going to instantly turn on him. And I don't think he's that kind of character. I don't think he's going to leave because of that. He's going to stick around and see if he can fix it. And, you know, if he does, if he does help that team again, he'll probably stick out in Liverpool for a bit longer. But if they, if they don't achieve anything, you know, next season, I think he'll definitely disappear. I don't know where to. I'm not sure. I don't know I, if he'll go Real, if I'm honest. I think it would be, Sp- it w- I think it would be Spain or Barcelona. I could see him yeah. as a replacement for Messi. He's got that sort of magic movement on the ball where he's sort of fairly unpredictable. So I think he can create and he can score. And I think, obviously... Yeah. That, that is the most eva- valuable thing in, front of a pl- in terms of a player. Yeah, and he's a fan favourite now as well. So, you know, you take him over to Barcelona, oh, you bring him on the pitch, you know, it seems. He, he's a Liverpool legend. Uh, and he's still in his prime. He will he yeah. will be considered up there with Steven Gerrard, uh, Kenny Daglish, all the Liverpool legends. Mo Salah might even top that list because you've got to remember... People go, oh, Steven Gerrard, what a player. And Steven Gerrard was an incredible player. Mm. He never won a Premier League. And Salah has. Yeah. And then I, I guess maybe, what, another, oh, I guess another two World Cups he could probably squeeze in under his belt? 28, depends. I reckon one. Yeah, it depends one. where we... And also, you've got to remember, it's not like when you talk about a player who's from, like, England or Spain or Italy or France, because you know that those teams will qualify. There is no guarantee that Egypt will qualify for a World yeah. Cup. So, you know, he might win an African Cup of Nations. They didn't win it last last year. I think, I believe that was Algeria. So mm. that was our first ever Brace Showcase, I guess, really. We've sort of spoken about his career. I quite enjoyed that, talking about a narrative of a footballer. However, sometimes we will be doing showcases on people that don't have such an illustrious, beautiful narrative. A story of... <laughs> Uh, redemption, failure in the Premier League, going to Italy, coming back, winning it all. Sometimes it will be Jay Rodriguez from Burnley, and I'm sorry, Jay, to cite you again if you ever were to listen to this, which you definitely won't. Not everyone has the narrative they want, but you still play Premier League football. So hey, don't, don't 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 put yourself down. You know he's listening to this on game day, oh, hoping I, that we're gonna pump him up and he can get. He's sorted. like, I gotta get two in so that I can do the brace <laughs> showcase. Come on, boys. I think he scored a brace against United last season, so calm down, Jay. Um, I want to see that again. That'll yeah. be a fun one. Showcasing what against starring team. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry, what's the brace showcase? I don't know what that is. No, it didn't happen. He definitely scored a hat-trick. So anyone who listens, please let us know what your thoughts on that, the format of it. I think it's a good way to showcase players and talk a little bit more in depth about you know, how integral we think they are to the team. And if, in case you didn't get the headline there, Salah is fucking integral to Liverpool and probably would be the, the worst thing for them to leave. So now what we'll do is we'll, we'll briefly go over our head-to-heads for next week's game. And that will pretty much be it for today's podcast. Um, Count up points from last week. I've already done it. Oh, have you done it? I've done it earlier, Ian. 
Yeah, so, let's do that first. Let's see how well it went because I know the fancy league did not go well for me this week. So it let's went see how quite. It, did it went quite well. Yeah, for I don't need to talk to you. I don't need to talk to you. I saw. I looked on the board. I looked at another one I'm in, and they just ran away. But anyone who put Salah in, as we've just discussed, if I'd captain him, if I'd captain him, it would have been carnage, mate. Those who like, did are evil. They're just yeah, the like, worst people I've ever. And met. anyone who triple captain, you're a psycho. Get but rest, I love it. Yeah. Like Get you, rest, so. I'll briefly explain the point system I've decided on to you. So, uh, well, yeah, you... football fans are going to struggle with this one. So, effectively, if we get the the result right, it's one point, which is in essence a draw. And then, if we were to get the scoreline absolutely correct, spoiler alert, we didn't. Not a single person did this weekend. Then we would get three points for the correct scoreline. So, at the moment, this week. And it will just be done on an individual basis. So, for example, Ian got three points this week. I got four points this week. Again, I have to caveat we did forget two games, so we apologise for that. But we'll yeah. try and catch up at a later point. To briefly go through the results, Ian went for okay, Fulham Arsenal. I went for 4-1, which wasn't far off because it was the correct deficit, just not the correct scoreline. Ian went for Arsenal to win 2-1, although he secretly wanted them to lose. And unfortunately... They did win, and Ian did claim a point off the back of it. We both went for Southampton. Ian went for 2-0. I went for 3-0. Listen, they lost 1-0. We looked like mugs, eggs on our face. Liverpool leads. We both believed Liverpool would win, but we both believed Leeds would score. So I went 5-2, and at one point, I was like, hello, I might be on for a correct scoreline here. Unfortunately, Leeds were like, no, your dream's in the mud. Get over it. And you went for 3-2. So we were both fairly close. Yeah, we knew it was happening. That was one point to pop. Now, this is where I gained ground on Ian because he didn't believe that Newcastle could do the bits against West Ham. But I knew West Ham are shite. Sorry, West Ham. And, but I went for an outrageous scoreline, which was 4-2, but obviously it turned out being 2-0. But still, it's a point for me regardless, so happy days. We both believed that Leicester would, uh, would win, although Ian only thought it would be 1-0, but they got battered. I went 3-1. Played it safe and put the one goal. Yeah, God damn yeah, it. Yeah. So, obviously, it turned out to be 3-0, so that's one piece of pop. Now, I said, <laughs> famously last week, in regards to Tottenham-Everton, I said, I do think there is a chance you could lose this game, and I should have listened to my gut, because we both went for a draw, and at one point, I thought it might be on. Yeah. But, sadly, it was not meant to be, and Tottenham did lose, sorry, Ian. That's the, the fifth mention of that, this podcast. Yeah, listen, I've, I've got to get it in there because... Wait till next week. You've just mugged us off in the transfer market, so yeah, I've exactly. got to get my victories where you I can. Get the digs in. Right, let me just grab the result, uh, the fixtures for this weekend. I, I will say that we've already predicted the Manchester United and Man City games, so we don't need to predict those. So, this weekend, and we won't forget any this time, that I can promise you. So, we're starting off, Ian, with... You'll go first, and then I'll right. go second. Everton versus West Brom. Well, clearly Everton are the team of the season, so I'm going. <laughs> I'm going um, two one Everton. I'm going to think they're going to carry on that pace. Two one Everton. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say two nil Everton. I don't think West Brom have much about them from what I've seen last weekend. I think they're destined for either nineteenth or twentieth, and again, Fulham <laughs> are going to join them there. I think they're going to get. Absolutely battered yeah. around this season. Now, here's a great game. Championship uh, reunion. Leeds versus Fulham. I think Leeds are going to batter them. I think it's going to be like 3-1. 3-1 Leeds. 
What do you think? I'm going to do Paul Fulham and Dad's into three now. Oh, the Leeds. They're going to prove why they should be up and Fulham shouldn't. They're going to be angry. I think Fulham looks terrible. Now, we've already yeah, done... They didn't, Man- they didn't show anything. Already done Man United, Palace. We've both predicted Man United to, to win, so eventually we'll have egg on our face when we lose to Crystal Palace. Arsenal, West Ham. Now, again, I think Arsenal, West Ham could be in some trouble. Yeah, I'm going to go... Um... Arsenal, are you going to perform? I'm going to put another 3-0 on that, Arsenal. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, to be honest. I think uh, West Ham looked very poor against Newcastle. Um, I, I'm going to go uh, 4-0, actually. I'm going to price this right, you, Ian. <laughs> I'm going to go one above you. So, Southampton, Tottenham, Ian. Can Spurs bounce back? Well... Oh no, I don't. I can't. I can't see it. And you know, Southampton was so unfortunate against Palace. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it Southampton's way. I'm gonna go two-one Southampton. Two-one Southampton. Obviously, the, per- the the fan inside me is bleeding at saying that. But after last week's performance, I don't know what else to say. I think Spurs are a really hard team to predict, and I think that's really mm. compounded by watching the All or Nothing. Just like these games, the games you lost, I'm like, what? You lost to them? Like you almost forget about it, but you're like, yeah. you lost to them, like one nil. So I don't know. That's a fucking tough game. I think maybe two two is what I'm going to go for. Okay, a lot of faith. I like it. Well, I know that Harry Kane does like scoring against Southampton. There is a chance. You could do that. The next game is Newcastle versus Brighton. Interesting one. I think that on paper, from what we've seen this weekend, is quite a tough one to call. I'm thinking... See, I I have a Brighton fan, and if you do listen to this, Lewis, because I know you listen to the last podcast, thank you very much. I'm I'm almost compelled to back Brighton on your behalf. However, I think it's a draw. Yeah, if I just put down my own team, you can put down his. Screw him. Yeah, I think it's... (laughs) I, th- I think we could have another 2-2 on our hands or something like that. Well, as, as you point out, I'm going to back I'm gonna back Newcastle on this one. I think it's going to be another 2-0. I mean... Really? Ooh. Yeah, Wilson looked good. They looked good. Hendrick's goal was good yeah. for Newcastle, I will say that. And both uh, both debutants got their goal. And I saw Ryan Fraser actually did score the other night for him in the Carabao Cup as well. So, you know, I said I, I, I thought Newcastle did good business. You know, mm. maybe, maybe you Steve Bruce is this tactician mastermind that we, we never realised. I think if United were to ever decide not to do Sancho, we should buy St. Maximum because he is saucy on their wing. Now, the game of the weekend, I'm calling it now already, Chelsea-Liverpool at Stamford Bridge, although fan fans really aren't having an effect. So really, we could just say it's like a neutral round. It's not always just about the fans. It's about the width of the pitch. It's about the, what you're used Familiarity to. of the pitch. I exactly. know. At the end of the day, oh, what, what do you think? One. You have to go first on this one, so enjoy it. God damn it. Who has it in them? See, you, you know, you say you've got your mate Lewis, who's uh, going to be down your neck for... Uh, Brian, but I know Richard's going to be on my back if I say anything bad about Liverpool here. Him and his fiance will be after me in an instant. <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway, and I'm going to say two all. I think it's going to be a two-two two draw. Yeah, Desmond. I, I, I think this is an incredibly hard game to call. I think obviously last season, especially towards the end when Liverpool did have a little bit of that complacency, it was five-three. I think there will be goals. I don't know what way. So I, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to go three-two Liverpool. Be my guess. 
So, so once again, you're just edging me out. You just want that point, don't you? Just the pro- Well, it, it all goes wrong if it's 3-2 Chelsea, mate. This so, is true. This is true. You know, that's a tough game. I really hope it lives up to its bill and it's like a ball draw. That's the, you always yeah, get there. that's always get, the way. <laughs> and I, 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 I always feel that Salah wants to perform against Chelsea. Like, whenever Kevin, whenever Man City played Chelsea, Kevin De Bruyne, because obviously he used to play for Chelsea, always smashes in the goal. Always. I just think there's a little bit of magic in football sometimes, isn't there? Mm. Where it's like the old player always scores against you. Like, I knew if United got to the Europa League final, which we didn't because we're fucking shite, that Lukaku would have definitely scored against us. Yeah. 100%. And Alexis Sanchez probably would have scored against us as well. So, in a way, I'm kind of glad that never came to pass because I couldn't have coped with it. <laughs> but when, when players play old clubs, there is that little bit of rubber the green magic. I think. Yeah, it's always fun. So, the next game is Leicester versus Burnley. Burnley are a tough team to break down. I would say Burnley are an incredibly tough team to break down. Although we didn't see them play this week. Last season, they're the king of the shithouse 1-0 defensive masterclass. Yeah. And they have been that for quite a long time. And I think there does come a breaking point with clubs like that, where it doesn't always start to go the way you want and teams start to figure you out. If they lose James Tarkowski, they could be in trouble. I think 3-1 Leicester. That, that's my, that's my See, guess. I was thinking a lot smaller. I think it's a 1-0 Leicester. Just 1-0. get the breakthrough late in the game or early and just hold on to it, really. I think it's just a breakaway game. Jamie Vardy, will he have a party? <laughs> Bring your vodka and your Charlie. Probably shouldn't have said that on the podcast, but hey-ho. that is. The- hey, well, that's the power of editing. You can decide whether you're happy <laughs> with that laser. That's the chant. <laughs> I'm only emulating real life. So, last two games to go through, Aston Villa versus Sheffield United. I ah. think I think Sheffield have been found out. I'm going to say that. I think they've been found out. I the think... Wolves easily dismantled them at home. No problem. Yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think uh, Villa are going to replicate what Wolves did and just get a 2-0 win. 2-0 Villa. I'm going to go 0-0 draw. No respect for either team. Like Although, I will say, there could be some bad blood here between these two clubs because of the contentious uh, Hawkeye goal. So maybe it could be like a really volatile affair. I don't know. And we've done Wolves and Man City anyway before we've, we've predicted that last week. So, the weekend. It looks like a good one. We've got some marquee games. We've got Chelsea versus Liverpool, which is a great game. And then I think the following mm. weekend, we've actually got Arsenal-Liverpool as well. So, like, there's, we've got, like, a good run of games of, like, yeah. high-quality games. So, you know, for me, I'm loving that the Premier League's back. I'm terrified that a second wave is going to take football back from us. Please don't take football away from me. I need it for my sanity. Just when we started, we have to start thinking of things we can talk about. We have to move on to football movies and just find whatever we can talk about that's football based. Oh, yeah, I watch goal. I watch the, the the goal trilogy every night before I go to bed. I love it. Uh, How come you're not a Newcastle fan then? No, yeah. no, I'm just you know, I pretend it's Man United instead of Newcastle. You know yeah. that that's what they showed Mbappe when they were talking about the consortium takeover. <laughs> they were like, look, look, Newcastle is the basis of this incredible thing. Oh my god, yeah. Oh my god. But weekend looks good. We've enjoyed the podcast. Again, we've overrun slightly, but with the magic of editing, I'm going to rectify that. By which but, you mean you're going to edit that bit out? Oh, 100%. <laughs> you know, now that I know how to edit anything, I'll just 
edit any sound thing i'll just say what i want you know yeah so, is it literally just from now on the podcast is me going yeah man united are going to win this week it's all yeah, about united. I yeah love man it. united. it's just a 30 second highlight reel man yeah, yeah, it's just me chopped up <laughs> Um, but you know, another good week. We appreciate anyone who listened last week. We know there was uh, quite a few of you that um, bothered to listen to us dawdle on about football for nearly two hours. So thank you very much. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this week. We're going to try and find a more condensed, concise formula as we go, as we go. But you know, football is just one of those things that you endlessly chat about. It, it happens, and you get on tangents, and you start talking about something that isn't even related, but kind of is. So yeah, this is the format. We hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I'll let Ian say any last words he wants to say, and then we'll we'll sign oh off. God, just absolutely throw me on the spot. No, I've got I've got no last words. I thought you were wrapping up. I was I was muting the mic. I was out of it. Mate, it's Christmas here. I'm just wrapping up this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Up here we go. Look, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. We, we hope yeah, you enjoyed it's been a pleasure. it. Pleasure. I'm I'm trashing Ian in the table right now. One point deficit. He's fucked it already. You know, at Christmas, if I'm leading, it's game over. Wait, wait till I bring those transfers in. I've got them lined up. I'm just going to start poaching left and I'm going to get those. We'll see. You're a poacher anyway, mate. We know that. You're bloody renegades. But yeah, thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time. And peace out, I guess. Peace.